Well, I need to apologize to the church because this morning I came walking in like, like half of you right at service time. And uh, I like to get here early. I like to fellowship and see people and love on people. This has been a week where I've, I've, I really believe it's been a spiritual attack. And it started Wednesday morning uh, with uh, a stomach bug. And I think I picked that up from within the family. Another family member was having the same experience at the same time. And that lasted a couple days. And then this morning I get up and uh, I, I like to rise early on Sundays. It's the Lord's Day. I mean, come on, you got to give the Lord the best, right? Yesterday was Saturday. That was football day for a lot of people. And for, I know ladies, for, so for a lot of, well, some of the ladies really are into the football. By the way, do you know why Pastor Brenton is not here today? He and Andy went to the University of Florida game. And so you say, well, wait a minute, that was yesterday. Why isn't he here today? Because after you go to the Florida game, there's seven days for cleansing <laughs> before you can come back to the podium. Okay, amen. <laughs> so I, I normally don't talk football in the pulpit because it stirs so many deep convictions and emotions. But um, so they're not here today. But anyway, I, I, so I got up early and I was just really enjoying my time in the Lord, in the Word listening to music. I just prepare myself. And I waited until uh, probably about uh, a quarter to nine to actually print my notes. Well, guess what? A demon came into my printer this morning. <laughs> and so I worked on that thing for like 45 minutes and I could not get my notes. So today I'm preaching from my electronic device, which I don't recommend, uh, but that's where I'm at and that's what we're going to do. And uh, we're going to be today, as you heard the passage read, we'll be in, in Acts chapter 1. So go ahead, if you will, and turn there, Acts chapter 1. And uh, we're going to move through all of chapter 1 and possibly uh, into the first part of chapter 2. That's the goal. We'll see how far we get. Let's begin with prayer. Father, this morning as we... As we begin to study the book of Acts, verse by verse. What a joy it is to be encouraged, ignited, illuminated, to be challenged by the Word of God. And it comes on the right day of the week, the first day of the week, before we get into the weekly business. We first sit with you on your day, and we honor you by the study of your word. Another way that we worship you, Father, and we give praise and honor for this. Amen. Now, the key player in Acts chapter 1, all the way through the beginning of chapter 2 to about verse 13 in chapter 2, it's not difficult to discover. He's mentioned no less than six times in 39 verses. It says in verse 2, if you want to follow, and I hope you have a Bible out, we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture this morning, but that's, here at Bureau Bible, we really believe that the early church came together for the apostles' teaching. It says it in Scripture. That means they were breaking the Word of God to one another. They were listening, they were receiving, they were chewing 
the word of God. They're being fed the word. And so the only way to be fed the word is for us to be in the word. So have a Bible if you can and follow along. But in verse 2, the latter part of verse 2, it talks about this main character in the early part of chapter 1 and 2. It says in verse 2, the latter part, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Verse 16, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke. Chapter 2, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So our primary focus in today's teaching is to unravel the confusion regarding the work of the Holy Spirit as it relates to the unfolding story in our text. But this isn't merely a subjective, topical sermon. We're, we're doing the book of Acts verse by verse, so, so that way we place emphasis on every aspect of Scripture, not just certain topics that we might be interested in. And so we'll start with the proper context and the understanding of that each and every verse. So let's get started. Verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's a reference by Luke, the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a reference to his gospel, the gospel of Luke. In all four gospels, we have a record of Jesus teaching his disciples by both word and deed so that they would be able to carry on his work after his ascension. On the cross, Jesus finished that work that he taught them, the work of God's redemption. And then he prepared them to proclaim that message to the world. The book of Acts is the actual proclamation of the gospel. It's, it's where now the, the, our feet hit the road. The rubber meets the road, so to speak. And we go from what we've learned about Jesus and about the gospel of Jesus Christ to now living the gospel, being witnesses for Jesus Christ. The book of Acts shows us the glories found in the trials and the sufferings of the apostles and God's people as they proclaim that message of the gospel to the world. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. You see, it was the Spirit who was the source of power in Jesus' earthly ministry. Remember now, Jesus was both fully God and fully man when he was born into this world, when he lived in flesh and blood. Fully God, fully man. He too was reliant upon God's Spirit. Just as we today as believers are to be reliant on the Holy Spirit. Now when it says, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, Luke is referring here to authoritative New Testament truth that was imparted to these apostles after Jesus ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit now would take the place 
of the up-close and personal relationship with believers. And he would prepare believers with the authority of the Word of God to take that message to the world. It was the Lord who sovereignly chose these 12 apostles for salvation and for his service. And there are no apostles today in the order of the 12 apostles. I know people use that term very loosely in and around church, that they call themselves apostles. When they do that, know that it has nothing to do with the same authority that God gave the original 12 apostles. They were the ones God chose to bring the New Testament to the church, to the world. And through them, we are able to do that. Big difference. So, moving on, verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus was with his disciples, with those who believed after his resurrection for about 40 days. He spent time with them. Why? Because they needed the confidence builder. They needed to see him. They needed to touch him. They needed to hear him. They needed to see him like them, eating food after death. Jesus truly overcame death through the power of God. Amen? This gave the apostles great confidence. It gave all of his followers great confidence. So, and they needed that for what was about to happen. This is so important that we understand this. Luke chapter 24. Turn there. I want, I want you to just read this with me. Luke 24, verse 39. Get, go ahead and get there. Luke 24, 39. This is part of the story after the resurrection where Jesus appeared to the 12 disciples or apostles. In Luke 24, 39, it says, See my hand, Jesus said, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. I want to stop for just a moment. I actually have heard pastors say this to their people. It is absolutely wrong teaching. It's erroneous teaching. They will say, it doesn't matter whether Jesus was raised bodily from the dead. Friends, it does matter. It makes all the difference between Jesus being a real being in a physical body that God brought back from death and simply being a force, an attitude that Christians are supposed to carry forth in their life. We don't have an attitude. We don't have some kind of a force. We have Jesus himself who is next to the Father in heaven. And he's interceding in our behalf here on this earth. A real being. And he said, touch me and see. For a spirit, if I'm just a spirit, then I shouldn't have flesh and bones. But you can see that I have flesh and bones. Then he said this in verse 40. And when he said to this to them, 
he showed them his hands and feet. What do you think that did for them? To be able to see their Savior hanging on a cross, yielding up his spirit, being put into a tomb, and now seeing him walk through a wall into a room in a glorified body. They're able to feel and touch the nail prints. What do you think that did to them? See, this had to happen before the day of Pentecost. They had to be bolstered in their confidence. Jesus is real. Otherwise, they would have never stood up against the persecution that was to come. You and I must come to an absolute res resolve that Jesus is real. This is not some fairy tale story. He's not some spirit, some force. He is alive and well in heaven, and God has sent in his absence the Holy Spirit to not only walk beside you, but in you and through you to other people. The reference to 40 days here, he mentions 40 days in our text. That is the period of time between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. So after his resurrection, Jesus was, was visible and was seen by everyone for 40 days. And uh, the entire time between Passover, when Jesus at the end of Passover, of course he was put on the cross and he died, and then 40 days later uh, he is ascended to heaven, but there's still 10 more days left between Passover and Pentecost. And after he ascends, after 40 days, there's still 10 days, 50 days between uh, Passover and Pentecost. This was a time of preparation for the disciples. And we're going to learn what they were doing in that 10 days. You, because the church is about to, to be birthed. It's about to be launched. The church. If, if you knew that... God was going to start the church in 10 days. And you were part of the 120 people that he was going to use to start the church. What would you have found yourself doing for 10 days? I could imagine, you know, in today's culture and the way they think, well, let's see, we've got to put together a marketing strategy. We need to sit down and figure this thing out, lay a plan We've got to make sure we know what target market we're trying to reach. We've got a lot of work to do, and we've got only 10 days to do it. And they go at it with their hands, get their hands in there, trying to figure out to make the church successful. That is not what this 120 people did for 10 days. It's not what the apostles did in the upper room for 10 days. They fell on their knees before God, and they began to pray. And in that period of time, God brought them into one accord. The only way the church could be launched through the Holy Spirit was that the people that God was going to launch through be one in Christ. That there be unity. The only way any church can do the Lord's work the Lord's way is by coming together in prayer and letting God unify our hearts for one cause. There is no other way. And so, verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, 
which he said, you heard from me. So, so he's, about to be, he's about to ascend, but he's telling them, okay, now look, I'm going to leave, but you need to stay in Jerusalem. You need to wait for the promise of the Father. Listen, which he said, you heard past tense from me. I've told you about this promise before. This is not the first time. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is where I want to spend the lion's share of our teaching today. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. I, I want to help this body to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. It is for every believer. In fact, you cannot be a believer without the Holy Spirit having regenerated you in Christ. And so we're going to talk about this. He said in verse 5, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, future tense, with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this was not the first time, again, that the disciples were hearing about the coming work of the Spirit. Look, write, get your Bible if you want to follow, but I'm just going to read the passages quickly. So at least write them down in your journal if you have the Acts journal. If you don't have one and you want one, go back right now. Just pick one up off the back table. And, and, and uh, we're saying a $5 donation. You can take care of that later. If you don't have 5 bucks, just take it anyway. Don't worry about it. So Luke chapter 11, verse 13 is the first passage. Luke eleven thirteen. 13. Let me just read it for you. If you then who are evil, this is Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There's a reference. When He's talking to them right before His ascension, remember I told you, here He's telling you, this is one of the things that I said earlier. How about Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Luke 24, 49. And behold, I am sending, here it is, the promise of my Father upon you. The word, the, that Greek preposition, the word upon in the Greek is ippi. That's very important. You can even circle that word upon. The promise of the Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So even towards the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told his disciples what he then repeated in Acts chapter 1. Stay in Jerusalem. That promise is coming. It's coming, okay? John 7, 37, write that down. John 7, 37. This is on the day of the great feast, probably the Feast of Tabernacles, where the Jews, on the final day of the great feast, they will literally uh, take these large jars, these containers, fill them with water, go to the top steps of the Temple Mount, and then they would lay those jars over and let the water cascade down the steps. A picture of God providing water from the rock for their forefathers in the wilderness. Beautiful thing. And on that day, Jesus, on the day, uh, the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up. So Jesus shows up during the Feast of Tabernacle on the last day in Jerusalem. Millions of Jews have gathered for this very significant major feast. And he stood up and he cried out. He didn't just speak like I'm speaking to you. He cries out. Probably, possibly, standing on the wet steps. 
the people all around, and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and I will give him a drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You're gathered here to remember how God provided physical water for your your loved ones in the wilderness. I'm here today to provide spiritual life, living water, if you'll come to me. And it says in verse 39, right there in John 7, now this he said about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, future tense, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had not gone to the cross yet. He had not been raised from the dead yet. One more passage where Jesus gave disciples insight into the coming of the Holy Spirit. If you want to look with me at John 14, verse 16, or just write it down, John 14, 16. Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H, paraclete, parakletos, the one who is called in, your attorney, your representative. Who is that? The Holy Spirit. He even says that. He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit here is called the helper. He's called the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be, future tense, in you. Again, another example. Jesus didn't just pop this whole idea on the disciples right before his ascension. He had talked about this all the way back in the Gospels. One more, let me give you one more. John chapter 14, so you're still close by. Verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Let me say something, and this is very important that we hear this as a church body. I am one of several shepherds in this flock. I'm not more than them. I'm not less than them. I am equal to them. We are all shepherds. And I can promise you the elders of this church, the shepherds of this flock, want you to understand that the work of the Holy Spirit is a work that comes in alignment with the work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit never does anything in Scripture to bring attention to himself. Never. Ever. Everything he does is at the command of the Father. Everything he does lifts up the Son. The Holy Spirit does not act on his own. He does not bring attention to himself. Yet if you look at many believers today, they have blasphemed the Spirit. They have made Him the centerpiece of their life. They want more Spirit, not knowing that the Spirit's role is not to be the personality of heaven. God the Father is what it's all about. This book is about Him from beginning to end. 
Christ the Son paves the way that you and I might know him and be reconciled to him. The Holy Spirit comes and fills us so that we might carry out the Father's wonderful redemptive plan for all of history. Don't ever think that the Holy Spirit is doing his own thing and I just want me some more Holy Spirit. I just need to go today and get some more Holy Spirit. Ridiculous. You're taking Scripture completely out of context. You know him, for he dwells with you, will be in you, and then whom the Father will send in my name, not in his own name, and he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that he said? No, all that I have said. That's the role of the Spirit. Let me give you a couple more. John 15, since they're close by. Go to John chapter 15, one chapter over. In John 15, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, I'm going to send him. See, not, the Holy Spirit doesn't even come on his own. The Holy Spirit comes at the bequest of the Trinity. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You see this? See, if you were raised in a particular type of tribal setting in a church somewhere where the emphasis is always the Holy Spirit, you might actually think that you're supposed to be pursuing the Holy Spirit, that he's the one. No, you're to pursue whom the Spirit leads you to, Jesus. Let me read it again. Who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Who's speaking here? Jesus is speaking. It's about Jesus. John chapter 16, go over one more chapter. Look at verse 7. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. In other words, I'm going to leave, I'm going to ascend, and it's, it's really to your advantage that I ascend to heaven. Why? For if I do not go away, then the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So now let me ask you a question. Has Jesus ascended to heaven? That's happened. Which means what? He has sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here right now, today. We are living in the church age, in the age where God is working through us by His Holy Spirit. Now go back to your text, verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's so much confusion today about the baptism in the Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are so many different interpretations of the Spirit's baptism but I'm going to tell you, I think Scripture makes this very plain, very clear, very simple. You know, the tag of our church is, comes out of first or 2 Corinthians 11.3, that we are all about, we're devoted to a simple and pure devotion to Christ. Simple and pure, simple and pure. I don't really care to get caught up in all these little side things that people focus on. Keep the word simple and pure. Amen? So let me give you a simple and pure teaching on the Holy Spirit from Scripture. Okay? Write this down. There are three relationships that a person can have with the Holy Spirit. There are three relationships that a person can have with the Holy Spirit. This is not a multiple choice. These are not done by you. You don't initiate them. These are three things that God does in relationship to you through His Spirit. 
I would love to say that everybody has all three. I would tell you that most people in the world only have one relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it's not much of a relationship. Believers have the second one, one and two. We've experienced number one, and now we have number two relationship. But a lot of believers are not walking in the third part of the relationship that we can have with the Spirit. So here it is. Let me give it to you. Number one, here's the first part of, or first of the three relationships. That the Holy Spirit is with us. Circle that. He is with us when we are convicted of our need to be born again, to be saved. Write that down. I'll say it again. He is with us when we are convicted of our need to be born again. And I'll explain what I mean by this. He is with us when we are convicted of our need to be born again. John chapter 14, verse 14 through 16. I'm going to read it. Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it doesn't know the Holy Spirit. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this first work is prior to him coming in you. It's where he is with you. He is beside you when you are unsaved. Any person who gets saved... That is a work of the Spirit that saves them. He's the one who does the regenerating. He has come alongside them, and he is convicting them of their sins. And the light comes on because he opens the door for them to see, and they receive God's truth, God's gospel. That's the first work. He is with us when we are convicted of our need to be born again. Secondly, Here's the second relationship. He comes in us, circle in us, the moment we receive Christ by faith and are born again. So he goes from being with us when we're lost, trying to convict us of our sins, to this second relationship where we get saved. He saves us. He enters us. If you're saved, listen, people wonder, when do I get the Holy Spirit. When do I get the filling of the Holy Spirit? The second that you believe. When you are saved, the Holy Spirit is in you. Okay? Write it down. John chapter 20, verse 19. In fact, turn there. Please turn. John 20, verse 19. You're going to be thrilled. We're going to get out early today. You can beat everybody else to the restaurant, I promise, as if I care. Do I really care if I let people out early? I don't pay attention to time. I really just want to give you the word. So here it is. This is good. John 20, 19. It says, on the, e on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, this is after the, this is after the death of Christ, so they are in hiding they are scared. Jesus is dead. Jesus came and stood among them. Now, how did he come and stand among them? The door is locked. In his glorified state, after the resurrection being glorified, 
His body was not like my body, not like your body. If I asked one of you to walk through that wall, you would be crazy to take me up on that in your current state. But when Jesus returns and you receive your glorified body, you can walk right through that wall. Isn't that wonderful? A body not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. You don't have to have a spacesuit to be in heaven with God. He will give you a body that's better than a spacesuit. Woo, man. We got that coming, folks. This is good stuff. Jesus walks through a wall, shows up in the room where these disciples are scared and fearful. They're full of weakness, fear, and trembling. He walks right through the wall. And what does he say? Well, the appropriate thing. He says, peace be with you. They needed to hear that from him. It's okay, dudes. Settle down. Peace be with you. Then verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. At first, they didn't even, it couldn't possibly be real. And then he showed them his hands and his side, and they realized this is the Lord. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit come into you. It's a work of God. You don't command that. The Lord does that work. That's when you're saved, church. This is when we get saved, when the Spirit comes into us. Nobody can be saved and not have the Spirit. This whole idea, have you been filled yet? Are you filled with the Spirit? As if you're a Christian that's walking around without the Spirit in you. That's ridiculous. That's not biblical. That's erroneous teaching. He's in you. Thirdly, Here's the third relationship. He comes upon us. So first, he's with us. Secondly, he's in us. Then he comes upon us when he empowers us to be witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We go back to our text and we see it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, there it is, upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Understand that the promise here is not that they would witness. The promise is that they would become witnesses. Please understand, for a Christian that the Spirit lives in, witnessing is not something you do. It's who you are. The Holy Spirit in you makes you a witness. No one in the room is exempt if you're saved. This whole idea that some of us sit back and go, well, I don't have that gift. It's not a gift. It's a promise. And it's given to every believer to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in this world. It's not something that we do. It's who we have become through the Holy Spirit in us. So when they had come together, back in our text, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at the same time, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? So they were still believing that the earthly kingdom of Jesus, or Messiah, would be established. And he said to them, in verse 7, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. It's interesting that Jesus didn't refute 
that he was going to come and establish a kingdom. He basically just said, the timing's not right. It's not the time for it. And, by the way, you will never know the exact time when that happens. Only the Father in heaven knows. Okay? But then he says, because he, he says, uh, you will not know the times or seasons, or, but it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, verse 8. We get into this teaching on the Holy Spirit. I want to just come back, and I want to reiterate, but take it further so you understand it, okay? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. There it is, that third work upon you. He's speaking to his disciples who have already received, back in John chapter 20, they received the Spirit. Now he's saying he's going to come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The apostles' mission of spreading the gospel was the major reason that the Holy Spirit empowered them. When, he, when, when, when this dramatic event takes place on the day of Pentecost that we're going to look at in just a second and just see it, it altered the world and all history. Literally, the gospel went to all the world because of what's about to happen on the day of Pentecost that these disciples experienced. Vance Havner, a pastor, once said, quote, we will move this world not by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by combustion within it of the lives ignited by the Spirit of God. The present trend to get the church to be culturally relevant is not the way of the Lord, church. It's the way of the world. The Lord's way is better. What is that? Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The Holy Spirit, his work is to ignite in the heart of every believer in every single church on the, in the, on the earth, to ignite the heart to be a witness of the truth about Christ and his gospel. And then he draws people to salvation. Our role is simply to let the Holy Spirit do his work in us. It's not on you. It's on him. You just yield to him. You obey him. That's the way it happened in the book of Acts. That's the way it's supposed to happen today. No marketing strategy. They were simply in love with Jesus, and they lived a life of witnessing. It was who they are. They're a bunch of witnesses. Uh, the first work of the Spirit, go back again so you have them. The first work of the Spirit is His work in the world. What is that? To draw people to God's saving grace. John 6, 44. Write it down. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The only way a person is saved is if the Spirit of God draws them through conviction of sin, through understanding of the grace and the gospel of God, the redemption story of God, God reveals it. The light comes on, and they're like, yes, I want that. And then others, the Spirit does the same, and they're like, what's he talking about? What's, what are you talking? Like somebody might, if they were visiting today who doesn't know the Lord, it's possible a person could go, wow, this is amazing. And today they receive Jesus, and the Spirit comes and resides in them. Or they could go, Man, what, what, this is weird. What's he talking about? See, they're, they're, they're not open to that work. The Spirit possibly hasn't drawn them to see it yet. 
That's the difference. The work of the Spirit in in the world is to draw them to salvation. Okay, John 16, 8 says, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. John 14, 16, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. See, they don't get it unless the Spirit opens their eyes to see. Paul said of the Jews, he said that Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. You might have a family member who you have witnessed to time and time again, and yet they look at you like you're a three-headed person from outer space because they, they have not received. The Spirit has not opened their eyes to see it. Pray before you witness, Lord, open their eyes as I share this message. I'm creaking a lot here. All right. If you can't hear it, they can hear it up front. The floor is like creaking. All right. Uh, so, the, so the next word, okay, oh, but let me say this. The, the, the key here is that he comes alongside. He's convicting. The Greek preposition is para, P-A-R-A. He comes alongside. Then the, the next work of the Spirit is his work in salvation. The Spirit is the one who regenerates the person by entering them. He's, Jesus is speaking with his disciples about the Spirit. You know him for he dwells with you and will be another greek preposition en in you this is where a person believes this is where a person receives the holy spirit he is now inside of them they are now a believer their once unregenerate spirit has been brought alive by the spirit of the living god they are alive in christ they are now saved praise god He fills them at that point. That's when when he comes in you, obviously he's there, he's filling you. But that's not the only work. It's not just, and by the way, the filling is, it's for you. When, when, When the Spirit comes in you, he wants to grow you. He wants to teach you. Peter said that we should grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How? By the work of the spirit who dwells in the believer if you're a christian if you're saved let me tell you what the spirit's trying to do in you he's trying to mature you in the faith he's trying to grow you up in the faith how by the word of god by you studying the word of god that never ends for the rest of your life the spirit in you he's filling you up filling you up filling you up it's a wonderful thing Now, when did that happen for the disciples? Remember I read John chapter 20, verse 19? It happened when Jesus breathed upon them and said, receive the Spirit. That's when it happened. So the first work is to convict a person of sin. The second work of the Spirit is to come into them and regenerate them. Now, the third work of the Spirit. That is to empower the believer to be a witness of Jesus Christ. That is, listen, when He comes upon you, and the Greek word is... Ippi, E-P-I, like a hippie? Ippi, E-P-I, he comes upon you. Where's that found? 
It's found in Acts 1.8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he makes you a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. So, to overflow. It's first the Spirit's with you. He's trying to save you by convicting you of sin. You're praying for people who are unsaved. You're praying, Holy Spirit, open their eyes to see the truth that I'm going to share. Let them understand the gospel. Let the light come on so they can be saved. Amen. They get saved. He comes in them. Now, all of a sudden, they are filling up. Why? Because they're in the Word. They're growing. The Spirit is continuing. That's the work of sanctification. It's an ongoing work the rest of your life. Salvation was an event. Sanctification is a process for the rest of your life. Every day, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. For who? For you. For you. The third work is the Greek preposition, ippi, that he comes upon you. I want to talk to you about that for just a second. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's already in you, but this third relationship is going to take place in the believer. It means to overflow a person's life. It's not just to be filled with the Spirit, it's to be overflowing with the Holy Spirit. If I had a pitcher of water and I took a cup and I set the cup on, a, on this podium and I started pouring that water in. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit in the believer, filling up the believer. Who is that for? The believer. He's maturing you. He's growing you. He's filling you. But then you say, as it gets to the top, you're like, okay, Lord, that's enough. You got it. And the Lord, like, keeps pouring. All of a sudden, the water isn't being, it's not contained in the cup any longer. It starts overflowing the cup. You're like, whoa, Lord, Lord, stop, stop. No, you don't want him to stop. Why? Because the third work, him coming upon you, is not for you. It's for others. And so as that water overflows the cup, what does it hit? Anything else on the table. It hits it. That's you being a witness for God. Others are getting the benefit of the spirit that now resides in you. And it's more than just about you. Now it's about them. See, you have to yield to that. Lord, come in me, fill me. Lord, flow over me. Overflow my life. Let others see the beauty of of your holiness. Let them see the beauty of your purity. Let them see the beauty of the gospel in my life. See, now it's about leaving a, a path of fruit that has fallen off your tree for them to pick up and eat. It's not you, it's the Spirit in you. You see the difference? Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Pick it up there. We're about, we're about done. I said we're going to end early. We're going to end early. Here we go. Acts 2, 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So this is after now. This, this is after all the work has been done. Jesus has prepared his disciples for the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes upon them. The promise is given. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. The Holy Spirit came upon not just the 12, but the 120, all the believers, the women, the men. And when he came upon them, he put on display the mighty work of God. We're going to go into that next week, where they began to speak in tongues. Not speaking in unintelligent language. It's not a heavenly language, as some call it. They are actually speaking in languages of other people groups on the earth. Why? Because what happened on the day of Pentecost is not an example of what God's doing in us. It was a one-time event for a specific purpose. What? All the Jews had gathered for Passover, and now 50 days later they've lingered. Now it's the day of, now it's the day of Pentecost. Millions of Jews have gathered. From where? From all these other nations where Jews lived. And they've come all the way to Jerusalem. Many different nations. Many different tongues. And all of a sudden the Spirit of God falls upon the 120 they start speaking in the languages of the people who are hearing. And what are they declaring? It's not something that's unintelligent. It's something that everybody understands. They began to speak, giving thanks to God in other languages the works of God and the giving thanks to God for His works. We're going to go into that next week. We've skipped over the latter part of chapter 1, and I'll tell you why. Because it really just outlines how the Holy Spirit led the apostles by an Old Testament verse uh, to appoint a replacement for Judas. Remember, Judas took his own life. And so that replacement was Matthias. And here's the interesting point. That how did they do it? This is before the Spirit has come by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So here's what they do. They cast lots, which in the Old Testament, that was a common practice. Just like using the Urim and the Thummim. It was kept on a priestly uh, ephod, and when they wanted to know what God thought, should we go to war or not, they would, they would bring them out, and it was a yes or a no, a right or a wrong. And they would make decisions based on that. God literally spoke to them through that. Well, God spoke to them through casting of lots. This last time, never again, by the way, never again in the New Testament does you see believers casting lots. Do not play those kind of games. You have the Spirit of God in you. He will give you peace when, it, when God's in it. And when God's not in it, you won't be able to truly sleep at night. Amen? So, men, if you're thinking about buying a new boat, uh, don't cast lots. Okay, let me flip the coin 15 times, and if there's more heads than tails, I'm getting the boat. <clears throat> God's spoken. No, you can pray. And if you have peace in your heart, and your spouse has peace in her heart, 
all of a sudden, it could be the Lord saying, yeah, it's okay. But if you don't get that, you stay away from that boat. Ladies, whatever it is you enjoy doing, shopping, you need to pray. Is the Lord wanting you to make that big purchase? Or all those little purchases every week? Oh, honey, I saved so much money today. If you, if you save money, how come we have less in our bank account now than before? Peace by the Spirit. And this is what's happening. This is what's about to happen in the book of Acts. The Spirit is about to come. And you're going to see this incredible outpouring where the disciples become witnesses and 3,000 people get saved. Next week, we look at Peter's sermon. And it is powerful. This was a fisherman, stinky, smelly fisherman. What did he know? He's from Galilee. He's not even from J Jerusalem. And man, he gets up and the Spirit of God speaks through him and 3,000 people get saved. If God can use Peter, he can use you. Amen? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that today there was clarity in the teaching that people would be able to understand the work of the Holy Spirit maybe a little better. And that we would recognize that as believers, he is in us and he wants to overflow us as we yield each and every day to his work. And the work of the Spirit, the main work of the Holy Spirit in the believer is to empower us to be witnesses because that's who we are. We thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you, church. Make sure you invite someone to come to church next week. And go out and be a witness for Christ this week.